This is the Productize Podcast. My name is Brian Castle. Thank you for listening today. You're going to hear my conversation with Brennan Dunn. It's been awesome to get to know Brennan these past few years and follow along in his journey, which is taken uh, kind of a meandering, winding road, always very inspiring, always kind of working on something new and growing things in really interesting ways. So we kind of start this conversation from PlanScope, which was the previous SaaS company that he built, and then into his training business, which he's done many things to grow in really interesting ways, kind of taking like an engineer's approach to growing a training business. And then of course, into this year, 2017, he's launching a new SaaS company called Right Message. So we talked all about kind of Brennan's mindset behind the scenes, how things unfolded from year to year during this journey. And of course, his process of coming up with the concept and building the initial version of right message and onboarding very first customers. And then of course, growing it at a very rapid pace here into the end of 2017. So without further ado, here's the latest update from Brennan Dunn. Enjoy. Okay. I'm here with Brennan Dunn. Brennan, how's it going? Hey, what's up, Brian? Yeah, good to connect with you again. I'm sure folks on this podcast probably know who you are. We we run in pretty uh, similar circles here. And I don't want to really go into the whole backstory. I feel like you've done a lot of podcasts, some with me, some elsewhere, where you could really hear like the origin story of uh, of Brennan Dunn. Um, I'm definitely more interested in what you've been up to. I'd say in the last like two two to three years, I think, is when I, I feel like there's been a lot of like new action <laughs> in your story. <laughs> Where I kind of want to start this off is PlanScope, basically. Like you, you sold PlanScope. That was your first SaaS company. And why don't we start there? Like take us back to like in the middle of you running PlanScope. How did it get to a point where you're like, maybe this isn't the right product for me? Okay. So I, I bootstrapped PlanScope and it always did. It never did well. It did okay. And I did the conventional kind of content marketing thing, trying to get more people to, to sign up for it. So wrote a lot of content about my experiences having grown an agency and that got people coming in except they weren't really converting to PlanScope customers like I thought they would. So my goal was the typical write about all things freelancing since PlanScope served freelancers. Hopefully the people reading that would think, oh, look, I'm on this, you know, software product site. Let me go check out the software product and maybe they'd sign up. So didn't work. Um, So what I ended up doing was you know, I really invested more in the because the content stuff was working, but it, it wasn't converting to subscriptions in the way I needed it to. And looking back, I mean, we could we could go all in on just talking for hours probably about some of the mistakes I made with PlanScope. Uh, namely, um, I think it is and was a good product, but it required somebody to make a lot of changes to the way they worked in order for it to be successful. And on top of that, when they found the product wasn't always when they could use the product. So you'd use the product on a new client project. But if they found it midway through whatever they're working on now, they would kind of mentally catalog, okay, I should check this out when I've got a new client. But getting them to actually come back, it was always hard. So I did a lot of the content stuff. And it, what it led to was people asking for more more information about like having grown an agency, which then led to a bigger course and then a conference and all this other stuff. So yeah, so that like your content initially to promote PlanScope actually led you into really building your personal audience and your kind of info product educational training programs. Yeah, it became increasingly harder to justify focusing on PlanScope because again, the revenue wasn't anything that great. And here was double your freelancing, which is what eventually this content became. 
that is you know now doing about seven figures a year and it was it was really hard to justify spending half my time on a thing making a fraction of that comparatively so I decided to sell in early 2016 sell plans which is hard I mean I know you you sold too and for me it was a little bittersweet just the notion of like this is where it all started and now I'm getting rid of it and I had customers obviously who I who I got to know pretty well that were still using it at the time of sale and it was it was interesting but it was definitely for the better because I couldn't Again, it was hard to justify and it, it was really hard for me to simultaneously run a uh, SaaS and this training business, which it's a topic that we could talk about for the new thing I'm doing too. But yeah, I mean, we're definitely going to get into right message because I think it's an interesting how you went from the SaaS into really growing out your training business. I mean, just really, really impressive stuff there, but then back into SaaS this year with right message. So I definitely want to dig into that story a bit, but you know, still at, at this point, and I guess it was early 2016 or maybe lead up in the end of 2015, where you're kind of deciding to exit PlanScope. Were you thinking, like, obviously, there's that comparison between, okay, the revenue from PlanScope doesn't make sense to spend time on that if the training stuff is taking off. But was it also like this particular product is not for me, and I'll still do software at some point, or like, I'm kind of done with the SaaS model, and I'm just going to really get into the training? Like, what were your thoughts there? I think for me, it was it was frustrating seeing that it was easier to sell somebody on a $300 course than it was a $20 a month subscription to SaaS. Not only was that a hard sell, but then they'd get into it and it would be really hard to shift the way they worked to fit with the way I needed them to use the tool. So there was a discrepancy there and I never really got over it. And I don't think I gave up on SaaS. I was, I think what it was is I gave up on the idea of a SaaS that required people to really change habits and be in it all the time for it to be valuable. And I knew that I wanted to find something because DYF, uh, W Freelancing has never, I mean, there's been some installment options for products of mine but for the most part it's not recurring it's all one-off but it's high volume enough now that it's pretty predictable how many one-offs i'll get on a given month but i wanted to go back to having that kind of repeatable predictable revenue and on top of that it's not going to scale any bigger probably than it is now i mean it might be able to but with software i mean you just have a lot more opportunity on that side you make a really interesting point about the product requiring customers to change their habits. And I think that's a point that often goes overlooked, right? So there are a lot of SaaS products. I mean, I guess PlanScope is one example of one, but there are many that operate in that way. So for the SaaS model, it's better to kind of align with an action or a goal or a workflow that the person is already using, but just make that workflow even faster, easier, more streamlined or, or more automated. That's where a SaaS really shines. But then on the training side, it's actually the opposite, right? Like they're seeking a change. They're seeking to learn a new way of doing something. So they're eager to pay for that sort of thing, right? Yeah. And that's the thing is, is for a lot of software products, I mean, it's, it's great to equip somebody with a tool, with the tool that they can be very useful for them. But the hard thing is always getting them to actually use it and use it to the best of their ability, right? Like to, to actually at its full advantage. And that's something that for my own stuff, and I've realized this for software products I use, you know, I might have an account, it looks great, it's some great task management app, it's this great app that does this or that, but needing to go in and making it a part of my daily way of working, I mean, that's tricky. I mean, I've probably hopped through dozens of to-do list apps and like all these other types of products that are really just, it's a CRUD app that is designed or set up in a certain way. Right. And that's effectively what PlanScope was, is it was task management that had an opinion. And it was easy enough to persuade somebody with 
very benefit-focused copy and such on the marketing site to see the benefit of this. Just like it's very easy to a gym to win somebody in with very muscular, good-looking people in their promotions, but it's a different story to get somebody in to actually do what they need to do to be successful with the product, right? So that's something I'm running into with my new thing. And it's something I really ran into a lot with PlanScope was exactly that, you know, and that's the job of onboarding, continuing education, uh, maybe even done for you elements where you can have some sort of you know human layer on top of the software itself. So, yeah. Okay. So, I mean, you know, we fast forward a bit, you do exit PlanScope and what are you thinking at that point, right? Like, so by that point, you already had like a pretty successful audience and training business going. I mean, I think it's grown quite a bit since then, but you were already pretty well known at that point. Like, were you thinking like, let's dive into this for a while? Like, what were your first steps to start really growing uh, W freelancing at that point? Yeah. So it was was definitely lifestyle businessy at that point, right? Where the company was doing well, it was very minimal overhead and everything was pretty much immediately fulfilled. So you bought the course, you bought the product, you get it immediately. The transaction is complete. It's more or less very simple. And again, none of it was recurring, but I had enough lead volume and everything else to know for within a range what I'd probably make that one. It did well. I mean, right now we're doing about 100,000 a month revenue wise with it and it's doing well. But, you know, for me, it's I knew I could just keep releasing new courses and keep redoing old courses and keep looking at all the different levers I could play with either getting more traffic or increasing conversions or changing up my product lineup or helping with upsells and all that stuff. But the thing that really I was kept drawing me back was just, you know, I'm an engineer at heart and I really like the idea of having software. And I really wanted to go back to having something like that. And and what really did it for me was I released last year a course on marketing automation because I've been pretty prolific on Twitter, for instance, about all the weird little personalization experiments I've been doing over the last year and a half, two years and showing like weird mixed panel screenshots and different things. And I've gotten on the radar of companies that are interested in that, but never didn't have the in-house ability or know how to do it themselves. So I released this course and in it, I bundled in a lot of the code that was powering W Freelancing's personalizations. Because with W Freelancing, I target freelancers, but also agencies could buy my stuff or designers and developers and marketers and writers and photographers and so on. And what I've realized is I remember getting an email from a copywriter saying, hey, I'm checking out your course. It looks like it's geared towards designers and developers. Can this help me? I'm a copywriter. And, you know, my gut reaction was, yeah, you know, it's a course on B2B sales. Of course it can help. But she made sense. Like, and I realized for every person who took the time to write me in, it's probably like a thousand people who thought that closed the tab. So that's when I thought, okay, well, I'm a, I'm a coder. This is not like, you know, what if I treated the marketing site? like a software product. And I said, if they're a copywriter, spit out this headline. If they're a designer, spit out that headline and, you know, and so on. And that's what I did. And it started to work really, really well. So when I released this course, I bundled in a lot of that code, but then people bought the course and learned about personalization and didn't know what to do with the code. So that's what led to thinking, well, maybe, maybe there's room for this becoming a SaaS. You know, I think it's interesting how Obviously, you've spent years building up your training business, various courses and memberships and things, but you've really taken it like an engineer's approach to building a training business. Like most info products, training businesses are kind of just basic run of the mill technology under the hood. Maybe the content is really, really strong, 
but you've really taken it to a, a different level in terms of the personalization on your site, but your email marketing automation, your ads funnels, like all of that stuff, you've just really dialed in every level. It's just been super impressive. I guess in those years before you started to dive into right message after plan scope, what were you working with like from month to month? Because I know that you do like different launches throughout the year with different courses and new versions of the course. Like, how do you typically plan out what you're going to work on next? Like, are you planning out the whole year? Are you planning by the quarter? And how do you decide when am I kind of burn out on something and I need to like something new to work on? I like to think I had like the full year mapped out every year, but I never did. I still don't do that. But, you know, I generally have ideas of what I want to get done that year. And usually it's been increasingly less upon doing the typical like quarterly big launch thing to your entire list and something a little more, in my mind, sustainable. That's also better for the person on the receiving end, because my issue was these big broadcast launches people do, which is the model most people do, where they take it offline and then they wait a few months and then they do a big week or two launch where they just hammer you with emails. And the problem is if somebody joined a week before they're getting those emails just like somebody who has been through this pitch five other times, right? So I wanted to do something that was a little more, and I looked at, you know, the tool I was was and am using Drip, and I started to think, well, you know, I've, we've got these workflows, and I can put these workflows kind of on an infinite loop, and I can have them be triggered based on certain behavior. And if they're expressing interest in pricing because they're reading articles about pricing, I can then say, like, three months later, pitch them on my pricing course in a big way. And then the next three months from then, maybe pitch them on something else and have it be fully automated. So every week a launch is happening versus having a big stressful, like it's launch week, nobody bugged me, like lots of stuff going on. Instead, it would be on a kind of more of a life cycle basis, right? So that's that's what I wanted to get to. And I spent the last year and a half on just automating the hell out of WF freelancing, just making it so it's still personal in the sense that the content people are getting relates to them. It's not just dumb automation. It's, it's pretty personalized. But it would make it so I'm not on that hamster wheel of needing to do the usual value email, value email, value email, keep doing that again and again and again until you build up enough trust to really warrant doing a big launch and then value email, doing that all over again. So I wanted to be able to get out of that equation, which in my mind was holding me back from really properly taking on a new side project or doing a new product itself that required my complete focus. Nice. And so how else have you grown the operation on the training side? Like I remember when you switched over from the Brennan Dunn domain to the W freelancing domain, that was a few years back. Then you start to bring in like other coaches to work with you on your projects. Like talk a bit about your team and the folks that you've kind of partnered with to really grow out the operation. Yeah. So, I mean, we were going to go or we were going down this path of personnel growth. And what we were doing was more high touch products. So we had an academy thing that was a seven month long course that was very high touch, almost like going to live lectures every week. And that worked well. The only issue was to basically be able to pay the teachers. It had to be high price, which meant both lead gen and conversions were hard, right? And on top of that, margins were really low. I'm talking like maybe, I mean, this is mostly my own fault in pricing probably, but our margins were about 5%, which is ridiculously low, especially when you factor in dunning and card failures and everything else where we still need to pay out our staff, but we might not collect from the student. So we did that for a while and we thought this would be our big thing where we have all these one-off projects or products that feed into these big high touch things that are more immersive and everything else. The issue, though, is it became, you know, I, I realized it took a lot more effort to sell somebody on a $9,000 
course or program than a $300 course. And the $300 course made me more money, which is weird, right? So it became more of like, I realized I was getting more into like running an agency where there was 15-ish people helping me and a lot of moving parts. And I don't think I'm afraid of growth in that sense, but it was very, it felt like fragile growth because if I didn't keep up the lead flow and I wasn't bringing in X many new people a month into it, it wouldn't sustain, right? So it was just, it became really difficult. And even though it was the best product we ever did, it was just really hard to justify from the business perspective to keep going. Yeah, it makes sense. Okay, so you're doing a lot of automation. You've basically personalized to a crazy extent your own site to great effect. And then I do remember with like the drip course and the automation, I was definitely one of those people where it was like, this JavaScript thing looks awesome, but I'm not a JavaScript developer, so I don't know how to uh, <laughs> how to apply that. And you know, like with right message and personalization, like you, I've been thinking about personalization forever. I thought I was going to do a similar type of software thing a few years ago. But unlike you, I've never been able to actually implement it on my site myself because I don't have the engineering chops. And even when there are tools available, I just never had the time to... to I, I need to do it today. And I still haven't found the time to do it. And I get very similar emails that you get like... You know, uh, it looks like on your site, you kind of gear your productized thing mostly to web folks, like web developers, designers, developers, but I'm an accountant. Will it apply to me? And like, I get those emails all the time. And if I had some personalization, that could fix that problem. Okay. So when was the actual decision to go, instead of teaching people more how to build their own automation to actually make it a product, a SaaS product? You know, I'd bring on the occasional consulting client where it would basically be people who saw what I was doing with my own stuff, ran a much bigger company, and were basically saying, we want that, but do it for us. So my consulting transitioned away from implementation to just strictly roadmapping advisory work. So I would come in and I would help them put together a plan of action, but I wouldn't actually do the setup or anything like that. And that worked well, and I started to get some good results from that. And people were really, I mean, it was definitely making an impact outside of my own experimenting on my own site. But even going back further than that, I used to, my very first business out of college was a company where we ran nationwide ads targeting uh, people looking to refinance their, their homes. We'd drive people to a landing page. And then on the fly, we would look at what state they're in. we just do geolocation lookup. And I'd say, okay, you're in Virginia. We have customers of ours in Virginia who are mortgage brokers. We would round robin through our customer list in Virginia and show the picture, the logo, the name and all the stuff on pretty much a standard landing page. But if that person opted in, the lead would go directly to that mortgage broker. So it was a branded lead. And our customers were all over it because most of them were dealing with lending tree and these kind of lead sharing things. Right. Whereas now they're getting people who've seen their face, seen their branding and everything else. And they saw the power of that. In a weird way, that was maybe even the start of this all. But even having done uh, phone sales in the past, I realized, you know, if I'm at a conference and I'm talking to a designer and they're asking me about my course, I'm naturally going to position the course a little differently to them than I would if we're at a developer conference. And so I started doing that on my own stuff. And then it really culminated with the release of the course where it was my first kind of public entrance or at scale entrance of a lot of what I've been doing on W freelancing with some clients, but for others. So we had about 400 people join that course. And then many of them, I mean, the biggest thing people were saying was this drip pro tools thing you built is cool. I don't know what to do with it. And I mean, even for my own stuff, for me to change personalizations on my site, I would need to go and basically make a commit to code and redeploy. So basically, my dream was 
the setup of like an optimizely or VWO, but tying it to things like tags and drip or you know, ConvertKit or Infusionsoft or whatever, along with things like where did they come from, what pages that they viewed, what behavior are they doing. Basically, the stuff I coded by hand on W Freelancing, I wanted to make a little more accessible to myself and others. And that's really what led to right message being a thing. An interesting thing that seems to me as I'm watching you go from one product to the next is like the drip course and right message seem to be a bit of a departure from selling to freelancers and consultants. But the connection, I think, is that the freelancers and consultants in your audience can take the drip course and can take right message and use that to serve their clients and give them personalization. Is that kind of how you're looking at it? Yeah, well, that was the big struggle, which was, are we going out of scope, right? So the drip course, I mean, everything else had been pretty agnostic business training for freelancers. And here was something that was specifically about marketing automation. So that's where we started to think. And this, again, was late last year. I was thinking, well, what if we start offering products for DYF that are more like skill augmentation? So if you're a web designer and you learn how to do marketing automation, you're now much more valuable. If you're a web developer and you learn how to copyright, you know, do copywriting well, you're much more valuable. And that was the thought. And we started that with the marketing automation course, thinking it's one of those things. It doesn't require much to learn. You're basically learning how to use a tool. And on top of that, most people who do online work for clients, so whether it's building a web app or building websites or whatever else, if they can come in and basically upsell their clients on, hey, why don't you let me do this for you also? They'll make more money and their clients will be more successful. So that was the thought. But that being said, you know, it was interesting because that's half of the people who ended up buying had never bought anything else in mind. I mean, these were people who were, you know, running a SaaS company or something like that. They had no interest in freelancing, but they wanted what was in the course. And then the other half were people who wanted to learn the skill to then sell their clients. So the same split is actually proving true and right message. And I think that's partly because of my own audience, but I mean, I haven't even promoted right message yet to double your freelancing. And I'm waiting until I have the education in place on how to sell personalization to your clients, because there's no point in putting them in front of the product until because most of them aren't going to. I mean, yeah, they might have their little freelancing site, but they wouldn't benefit much from personalization for the most part. So. so what were your very first steps of like, OK, maybe this will become a SaaS if this is a new SaaS product or a new SaaS company? How do you start? And it's obviously not your first rodeo. So what did you kind of go into it like doing differently? So at first, I treated it as a very big side project. And I brought on a co-founder friend of mine who was going to do a lot of the development and support. And, you know, that was the original plan. And then why bring on a co-founder? Because you, obviously you're a developer. Is it just the bandwidth, like personal bandwidth to split it with someone or... It was the bandwidth and the distraction factor. I, I really did think, and this is where things are starting to get iffy, I really did think I would stay focused fully on W Freelancing, and I would really serve as like a lead channel for this product that I would be more of a figurehead on. Um, not to get too political, but it's a bit like having Trump put his name on the side of a building that he doesn't run. Like, you know, thinking of it like that, where I've got the lead flow of people who could come over to this, but I would not be involved day to day. So that was the original thought. But what ended up happening was it started to really become very intriguing to a lot of people. And before we knew it, we had a lot of people submitting their info. Uh, we basically, our MRR is higher than Planscope ever was after many years. And it, we're like a month live. And it's just growing in all the right ways. So um, I'm still trying to process it all, if that makes sense. Like, what do I do? 
Yeah. So your co-founder on that, he's he does all development or, or did you get into the code yourself or? I haven't touched any code. So I'm basically playing sales slash business guy. So what was kind of like step one is building like a prototype and or like, did you do like early customer development? How did that play out? Yeah. So he didn't want to write any code until we had a few commitments. So we started with a very simple landing page that just demonstrated how we could personalize copy. And we had a little email interest form. You would opt in. We then redirect you to a type form and we dag you if you don't fill out the type form. And then from there, we didn't do anything at first. And we got a good amount of volume. And then I would just reach out manually one-on-one to kind of like we, we got highish profile people who would opt in. And then I would talk to them and I'd try to figure out exactly what is it they needed. Here's what we're thinking of building. Is this in line with kind of, I mean, we always stayed very, I've learned enough to know that if I could just focus only on benefit stuff, like, so like what led them to put their email in? Like, what did they think doing this would actually do to their underlying business and what effect might that have? So we got cut off, but you said that you had a type form where you were collecting responses from quite a few people. You had a good response there. You got on calls with those people to understand what they want to do and what you guys are thinking of building. How did you start to like reconcile that and, and figure out like what your next steps were? Yeah, so I, I stayed to the best of my ability, high level. So what drew them to the idea of personalization? What did they want to get out of it? How did they see personalization coming in and affecting really their bottom line? And really what I was trying to get at was, okay, well, you've got lead volume, you've got a product with a customer value, you know, average customer value. What could a tool like this end up doing to amplify the stuff in between, right? So how can this help you increase conversions, which then increase sales? So we stayed high level. We didn't get into the details of the product. I mean, this is one thing that I really have tried to focus on is the customer should not dictate the features or the usability. As product creators, that's our job to figure out exactly, okay, they need to get from here to there. We're the ferry captains. It's up to us to figure out the best way to do that. So I stayed as much as I could high level and working with people to figure out exactly who are you selling to? What are the different segments that you target? What kind of personas have you identified? And the the interesting thing is just seeing how few people have done any degree of segmentation outside of customer versus non-customer. Most people do track that, but very few people go beyond that. So in my mind, there's an education gap that needs to happen first because you need segment data to personalize against, right? Everyone's treated the same. How do you set up personalization campaigns? So we actually, what we did first before we even started with the software is we pre-sold a course called the Personalization Masterclass. And what we're doing in this course is we're basically teaching people how to prepare to be great customers of right message. So the goal of this course is to prepare somebody to be a customer of right message. And it's also beneficial because it's relatively easy for me to sell somebody on a one-off basis on the course, which then upsells on the SaaS. So we started that way. We got really strong validation pre-sales with that. And that alongside the conversations I was having and the commitments I was getting from kind of early customers allowed us to really say, okay, let's actually break ground and build this thing. Okay. So you had some pre-sales for the course, but you didn't necessarily have pre-sales for the software? Um, we collected basically a year of access from 10 people. So we did get 10 people before the software was even ready to basically put down um, $600 each. So we made 6000 there and about 5000 in course pre-sales. So we had some good amount of, I mean, people put down you know, a little more than five figures in early validation, right? Yeah, I mean, enough to confidently start coding. Exactly, yep. Cool. I have to imagine that a common objection is, well, I love the idea of doing personalization. I know I need to do personalization. I've never done it before. 
and I just don't have the time to do it. Can you do it for me? Like, does that come up a lot? And how do you think about that? I mean, I actually, like I said, I was looking at this idea as well a few years ago, and I did some very, very preliminary like customer research on it. And that was the thing that kept coming back to me was like, it's a great idea, but people aren't ready to do it themselves yet. You know, it reminds me a lot of, say, A-B testing, where it's the same thing, right? Yeah. And to this day, I still haven't even run like any A-B tests. <laughs> so the biggest concern is, is exactly what you just said, or I have the time, but I don't even know where to, where to start. Long term, that's going to be, in my mind, the job of really, really good onboarding that really says, okay, let, here's some common recipes that let's work with you to implement. For the short term, we're basically working, and this is something I got from my friend Andrew Culver when he set me up with Churnbuster, which was, it wasn't that Churnbuster, which was a kind of a, for those who don't know, um, app where if cards fail, payments fail, they'll go in and kind of nag people to pay. <laughs> so you just set up and it just is the thing. But the hard part is just, it takes time to set up. So our demo or onboarding was literally, you got on Skype with me, I shared my screen, He's like, all right, go into the code base. I just emailed you the snippet. Go put it where I need you to. And he basically made sure I did it, right? So what we're doing now with everyone new is we are working with them individually. We actually are in the process of bringing on somebody to lead customer success. His whole job will be just this, to go in and work with everyone and make sure they're getting an ROI um, or at least getting some early wins. So that's the hard thing is exactly that, which is I don't have the time or I don't have the know-how. I mean, it, unfortunately, it's not like a bare metrics where you plug it in and just works because it just takes your data and it just works. With this, you do need to set up some stuff. But like long term, our goal with onboarding is to do things like, all right, let's integrate with now with your Google Analytics. We'll look at your biggest refers over the last year and you can go up and set up personalization campaigns for the traffic that comes from these sites or, you know, map all your different, like what kind of product are you selling? Uh, SaaS. Okay, cool. Map the tags you have in Drip, let's say, with these different segments we've predefined for you. So you know, okay, customer in Drip means customer here. Active trial in Drip means trialing here, you know, and so on. So you can then do that. And then the next step would be, okay, let's go to your opt-in stuff and say, if they're actually on our list already, what do we want to show them instead? And if they are trialing, what do we show them to try to get them to convert? And if they're a customer, what do we show them to promote an upsell or get them to upgrade or do an annual prepay or something like that? So that's the end goal. But for now, we're really doing this manually. You can't even get an account without getting on a demo call with me, where the end goal of that is to figure out the next steps for you to do the first two or three things that you should be doing to basically permanently increase conversions. And then when they do get set up, we get another call on where we work with them to basically use the app. And it's good for us because, you know, they're the ones driving and we see where are they stumbling. We say, OK, go and do this. And they're like, how do I do that? And that to us is like, OK, this is how we learn about how to design the usability of the product and how to make it even better and easier to use. So, yeah, I think there are so many little like low hanging fruits that you can do with personalization. Like I said, I, it's been on my to do list forever. Like I need to do it. But like just tying into drip tags alone is like, all right, I've already got a lot of tags in drip. There's a lot that I can do. And I'm probably not even doing enough with tagging different types of segments in there. But there's a lot that you can do right off the bat or that Google Analytics, like different refers. I mean, that's something that you don't even need to really change anything is just connect it up and start to show different things to your audience. But then the next step would be to do things like what you've been doing with on double your freelancing with like 
pop up a survey or set up new drip email campaigns that if they click on this topic, now they're tagged with that. If they click on that, like those I'd imagine are like new things, new pieces of content, new mechanisms that do need to be built for the customer. No, I mean, so for instance, everyone knows content upgrades tend to work really well. The pain is coming up with like a PDF for every piece of content you have on your site. So that's the resistance there. But what I've done for my own stuff is I look at behaviorally what kind of content you're consuming. And I also look at like, say a web design blog sent you to an article on proposals on my site. When you see either the hero call to action on the front page of the site or the slide up call to action on any article on my site, what you're seeing is designers colon, learn how to close your more proposals, click here. And that leads to the lead magnet which is the email course that does help with proposals and it helps with pricing and all that good stuff. It's the same lead magnet, but the way it's described changes depending on behaviorally what you're doing. So if you're reading articles on starting a business, it's going to be more focused on you starting out and everything else. And the opt-in for the email course will slightly change also the landing page. Whereas if you're already looking to grow and sustain a business, then the messaging will be slightly different. So it's the same lead magnet at the end, but the way it's positioned changes. And what that's done is it's basically lifted overall opt-ins about 250% just by, you know, it's the same psychology as like, why do content upgrades work? It's because they're more relevant to the person. The person reading this sees a very highly relevant call to action specific to that article. This is like in between that and a generic, like join my list type thing, right? Do you find that this tool is really effective when you're in like an optimization stage, but if you're like a startup you shouldn't really be thinking about personalization too early or like in terms of like the target customer, the ideal user for right message. So the ideal, what we're finding is the people who are really doing well with it are software businesses, info product businesses, and even services businesses, which I guess covers like a lot of the bases. Uh, we're also talking to a e-commerce company that does 10 million uniques a month, very good revenue. And all they want to do with this is make it. So if you're viewing product B and you've already bought product A, change the sales copy for product B based off a continuation of A. But if you're viewing it and you haven't bought product A, describe it differently. And that's all they want to do. Yeah, I feel like e-commerce is like an entire massive niche for this type of personalization because they have so many different products to sell. And it still amazes me how many e-commerce businesses really drop the ball on this. I mean, like I bought a bike two weeks ago off of a website, like ordered it online and I get a receipt email this isn't website personalization. This is like email personalization. But the receipt says like, you might also be interested in buying this other bike. It's like, I just bought a bike from you. Right. It was <laughs> like, the whole thing of like, why am I getting retargeted for bike ads when I just bought a bike? Exactly. Like, you know, and it's just, you can tell they're really bad at Totally. And like, but I didn't buy a helmet. I didn't buy, you know, cleats. I, I didn't buy all these other things that you could be selling me right now. And like, it's, it's just amazing. Or you can go as far as to say, I mean... You can get kind of big brothery. Um, some people using right message are doing this where let's say you have a tracking pixel on your site, the Facebook pixel, right? And you want to do a retargeting campaign. But you say you have the same ad or the same endpoint and one ad you're just running to women and one ad you're running to men. Same thing. And then using query string parameter data, maybe you have like G equals F for women, G equals M for men. And that's in the click-through link. And then using like right message, you could say, when showing the product, have a woman on a bike when a woman's viewing it and have a man on a, the same bike when a man's viewing it. And that's the kind of stuff where you don't need an A-B test to figure out if that will work. Well, maybe for the men, do they want to see? Yeah, anyway. But, you know, <laughs> right. you know what I mean? Like, it, it's one of those things that 
people want to see themselves in the product. People want to see themselves in the testimonials and the reviews and everything else. So if you can make it so the reviews are people like you, I mean, it's the same thing. Like, I don't think Amazon does it, but maybe they do. They probably do. But like, for instance, if you go to like an event break type thing or, or one of these things, you can see friends of yours on Facebook who are also going to this event. So it's that same sort of thing where you want to see people like you. And it's just the ability to kind of do that in a very nice automated way. Yeah, totally. Cool. So, I mean, you're just a couple of months in now. You had the prepaid people. And now I, I guess here we are in August 2017. And would you say Right Message is like publicly launched at this point? And I know you have to like do demos, but like, are you taking new customers in right now? Yeah, we've got about 420 demos scheduled. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have about 40 something. I think it's like 42 or something customers right now. And we've got a lot more in the pipeline. Uh, some of them, the bigger ones are just obviously taking longer to close. But we haven't really done anything very strategic yet in terms of marketing. So far, it's all been pretty much inbound from Twitter <laughs> and referral stuff. And I've done you know, a few podcasts. I've talked about it a bit. And we're getting visibility that way. For instance, we don't have any paid acquisition or anything like that because there's no self-sign-up path yet. Once we have that, we'll probably still have them keep the invitation model, which I, you know, companies like MeDedger did that too, where there's still an opt-in, even though you can basically sign up directly. The idea is to get people to opt in there and then push them over to the pricing page to sign up. But um, yeah, I mean, we're basically, once we nail down more with the UX of the product and the onboarding, because the thing is the underlying tech has been used for the last few years. It's not, we're basically building a SaaS on top of a code library. So the underlying tech's been there for a while. It's just building a very usable front end for that. And that's what we're focusing on now. And once we get that, and that's why I like doing these high touch demos and the setup, because I'm learning a lot about how people use it, where they're getting confused, what people are doing with it and so on. And we're able to have a dialogue, which I won't be able to have in the same way once people sign up on their own. So I guess moving forward, what's kind of like the next step in terms of marketing and growing this thing? I feel like marketing in general for a SaaS app in 2017 is not like it was even just like two or three years ago. It's just so much more competitive. There's so much more noise. The same tactics don't work as well as they used to. The things are more expensive than they used to be. Like, what are your thoughts in terms of like the best way to go about marketing a SaaS or in your case, right message? Yeah. So I think with us right now, there's a few different channels that we're really going to bet on. Um, one of which is integration marketing, because we integrate with Drip, ConvertKit, Infusionsoft, MailChimp, Pops. Like there's just a lot of opportunity there. And I know specifically I'm very close to Drip and ConvertKit. But then there's also the pseudo integration things. Like for instance, you can use right message on lead pages. You can use it on Instapage. You can use it on Unbounce. So it works because it just it's a line of JavaScript that works on any web CMS. But that's also another opportunity for us to be able to say, Hey, like if you're using, um, you know, lead pages and want to make it so, you know, if you're driving your list back to a lead page, you want to change stuff up depending on who's looking at it. We can make that really simple to do. So that's one outlet. The other is going to be more of the tapping into my own DYF audience. And this is going to require a lot on the education side. But if we can get people upselling their own clients on doing this on their own site and stuff, because we're basically baking into that affiliate. Uh, revenue potential, right? So, And that helps with your onboarding. Exactly. Exactly. Right. And the end buyer doesn't necessarily need to even use the product, right? So based on the sign-up path we're working on is, let's say you're a consultant, you have a client that you're doing a website for, 
you give them a link, they go and they plug in their billing details, it automatically sets you up as an affiliate and it adds you as an admin to their account. So like one stop way of just saying to the client, okay, cool, to get set up with personalization, you gotta go here, put in your billing info, and then now they've got a client, you know, they're now a customer of ours, but the usage of the app is done by the freelancer or the consultant. So that's the other channel we're really looking at. And the third is gonna be, um, I've done pretty well at with UIF, for instance, getting people who do not yet know they need a product of line to come in through either what they're asking Google or just maybe display ads that I put on Facebook, let's say, that get people in and then prepare them to become a customer. Um, I plan on doing the same with, you know, our end goal will probably be a lot of free content that funnels into a free email course that leads to the personalization masterclass, which then gives you a month of free access to the, to the product. I don't know if that'll work, but that's going to be the end goal. But um, right now, just with the leads we have now, we have, and the closing rate we've had so far, when I get through all these, we're already looking at if things maintain as they have been. I mean, we're already at above a million ARR. So it's just a matter of keeping that up, you know, so. Amazing. You know, as we start to close out here, I'm wondering about, I mean, obviously it's growing like crazy and you've got a big pipeline ahead of you. I'm always curious about like your mindset of like where you're going to focus your energy and time and personal resources into this. Like, do you see right message at this point becoming a major focus for you over the next couple of years or will it be kind of a side project or one of several SaaS in a portfolio? Like what's this looking like for you? A month I would have said something different, but I think now it's going to be my full time long term. I'm doing a lot with just strategic partnerships. We've got it's exciting because it's I get all that the high of high touch sales that I used to love with consulting, but selling enterprise software because we do have, you know, if, if you're at a certain level in terms of volume, we do have a done for you option where we consult on top of it. And now we're scaling that up and we're actually working on and it's a bit premature to even be talking about this, but we're working on like certified personalization consultants that we could then bring in for my audience, get them in and then use them as like agents in the field for us. And then if we get a big client to come on board, it's, it's exactly what Drip and all these other companies do, where you get a big enough client and they're like, I don't have time to set this up. And they're like, great, we've got these certified people who basically passed the test in terms of knowing how to do this. We'll pair you with them. And then it, it's a win-win for everyone, right? So I've been on airplanes a lot recently doing meeting with people and really kind of shoring up exactly what needs to happen to make this a pretty profitable business. So I mean, DYF is on autopilot for the most part. I mean, we still have people like handling support and everything else, but you know, we're at the point where now we are still working on like new products and everything else, but it's not, we have the automation in place that makes it so it's pretty, it's reliable, right? Because it's evergreen content. It's not going to change year to year, month to month or anything like that. Yeah. It's exciting, man. I'm excited to see how it unfolds. Um, it's just, you know, another chapter in your story, which has been really great to watch these last few years, really inspiring. So yeah, thanks for sharing the story. Of course, we'll link everything up in the show notes, but that's over at writemessage.io and your site is doubleyourfreelancing.com. For those who haven't heard your stuff before, even if you're not like a consultant or a freelancer, you should definitely try to get on Brennan's email list if you're not on it already. Just really deep dive, well-written stuff. And if nothing else, just to see what a really great email marketer looks like. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, well, thanks, Brennan. Anything else you want to leave uh, the audience with before we wrap it up? If you're interested in like, like you were saying, the psychology of how all this stuff works, I'm trying to do a lot. I don't know when this is going to come out and how much more content we'll have then, but I'm trying to put a lot on right message IO. And like you said, if 
if you're interested in seeing kind of the mechanisms of how I'm running DYF, pretty hands off these days. Just put your email on the front page of wrefreelancing.com and you can see what I'm doing. Very cool. All right. Thanks, Brennan. Yeah. Thank you. Hey, before you go, have you checked out my YouTube channel yet? I've been posting short videos where I answer questions that come in from readers of my newsletter. You got a question that you want me to answer? It could be about business, entrepreneurship, productizing, life, whatever. Hit reply on any of the emails that I sent you recently and I'll add it to the queue. What's up? You're not on my newsletter yet? Well, get on it. Head over to my site, castjam.com. That's where you'll find it. Okay, until next time. See you.